Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, uh, I'm excited to share the word with you for a couple of moments today. And uh, we're a little untraditional around here, so there won't be, you know, um, well, there's kind of a little baby Jesus, but we're not going to do like a play or a musical or any of that stuff. Uh, I actually want to preach the word to you and, and trust that over the next couple of moments, um, despite the fact that this is a traditional holiday service, that the Holy Spirit's going to get a hold of some hearts. People are going to give their lives over to Jesus today. And uh, we will celebrate our final service of the year with lots of people coming home to him. So I want you to engage and uh, uh, it's it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good morning. Um, before we jump in, I just, I do want to say, since it is our last service of the year, um, I am so incredibly grateful for all of the amazing things God has done in our church in the last 12 months. Uh, I know that there's some guests here, but let's, let's have a, a little family time for just a moment. It's pretty like miraculous to look at all that's happened in just such a short period of time as a church. Today we are 15 months old uh, as, a, as, a, as a family here, which is like, it's not that old. I remember when my kids were 15 months old, they're not doing half the stuff that you guys are doing right now. Um, but man, I, I just spent some extended time over the last uh, week or so writing things down and thanking God for some amazing things that have happened this year. It's been incredible. Like 220 some odd people have given their lives to Jesus at our church this year. And, We've seen 41 people get water baptized and 700 people who walked in the doors of the church for the first time and filled out a card and said, I'm interested in hearing more about the Father's house and 30 groups that meet all throughout the week in our city. And uh, we just launched a food pantry to feed dozens and dozens of families that don't have groceries during the week and documented healings and marriages restored and people being set free. It's just been an amazing year here at the church. And I'm so, so grateful. I know that even within some of those statistics, uh, your story might fit in there. I know a lot of you would say, hey, I'm one of those people who gave the life to Jesus or I'm one of those marriages who've been restored. And uh, sometimes it's just good. I want to encourage you before the year is out to just take a step back from the busyness of life and uh, spend a few extra moments in the presence of Jesus, turn on some worship music and just thank him for what he's doing in your life. To just allow your heart to be grateful for what God is doing. It gives you perspective because sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, as they say. You're just so caught up in what is happening in the moment and the chaos of life. But when you step back and you see how much God has blessed you, you just go, man, this is amazing. God is so, so good. So come on for two seconds. Can we just thank God for what he's done in our church in the last 12 months? It's awesome. Well, they're going to throw a, a new graphic up on the screen behind me that says, good news, great joy. And uh, as the graphic suggests, as the monologue suggested, and as all of the uh, social media posts have suggested over the last week or so, I want to take a few moments and I want to talk to you today about some good news that brings some great joy. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think we could all use a little bit of good news that brings some great joy. Uh, there's a whole lot of other news out there, it seems. There seems to be an abundance of bad news. Just sit down in front of a television, watch your particular news station for about 30 minutes, and you'll walk away depressed, and you'll walk away anxious and very discouraged about the state of our nation. But even in the midst of that, Jesus says, there's good news for our nation. Uh, I know that even this time of year for some people is a time that reminds you of 
some bad news. I met some folks in the lobby and talking to people this last week, and while some are holly and jolly and bright around the holiday season for others, uh, this is kind of a dark time. It's a, it's a time that I think seasonal depression and uh, you know, anxiety and sadness and loneliness are kind of at their peak in the holiday season. Uh, and for many, as you look around the table, this is just a reminder this year of who's not sitting there with you or the family members that are not around. And so it can be a time of year where it feels like there's a lot of bad news, but in the midst of the political climate and the social climate and whatever situation you find yourself in, as we go back to this very familiar narrative of the birth of Jesus, we are reminded that one of the greatest promises of his entrance to this earth was that in the midst of a whole lot of bad news, he came to bring some good news that will provoke great joy for all people. And my my hope today, in fact, my, my conviction today is that whatever you are facing, whether your season is great or you feel like you're at the bottom of a pit right now, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to breathe some fresh joy into your life today before you leave this place. That's not just some pastorism and, you know, that's what you're supposed to say. Man, I've been praying all week and I wholeheartedly believe that there's going to be like an inoculation of joy in some people before they get out of here today. You're going to leave with a smile on your face that the devil can't rob because it's going to come from deep inside of you, not a circumstance, not a situation, but the savior of the world is going to provoke something in you that cannot be taken from you. So if you're up for that today, just open your heart over the next couple of moments. And I believe you're going to get what you need before you leave this place. Amen. Let's pray and we'll get into the word. Uh, Father, we love you today. And uh, we do thank you for your presence here in our midst. Thank you that you promised by your word that anytime people gathered together in your name, you would be here with us. And we do sense you here today. We sense you in the songs. We sense you in the interactions with others. And I pray over the next couple of moments as we go to your word that you would breathe on that and we would sense you in your word. Um, I know that there are people here today that are walking through very difficult seasons of life. And uh, in the midst of that, I pray that the promise by your word of this good news that will bring great joy would meet them where they're at today and that joy would be stirred up from deep inside of them. Lord, we trust you today to do a work in our hearts. Before we go through the holidays and all the, all the stuff that's going to come over the next couple of days, do something deep in our hearts today. Do something lasting in our hearts today that will carry us not just through the end of this year, not for another week, but from now on in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen. I want to read that scripture that we read just a moment ago uh, again so that we've got a framework for this this morning. But uh, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, And there were some shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Good news great joy, all people. Say that with me. Good news, great joy, all people. That's a great promise, and it's an amazing statement, but it's also, if you think about it, an incredibly challenging statement. Like, not just some people, not good news for most people, not just good news for Christians and people who gather at church, but good news that will bring great joy to everyone. I don't know about you, but there's not a whole lot of news I can think of that brings joy to everyone. What might be good news to some people isn't such great news to other people. 
Like it really depends on where you're at in life and what your beliefs are and what your convictions are to really determine whether or not this can be good news for you. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, if you take a, uh, a really staunch Republican and you put him in a room with a Democrat and they sit in front of a television and they watch the impeachment hearings right now, for one, yeah, I know, it's probably inappropriate to say a church, but for one, it's good news that brings great joy. <laughs> But for the other one, maybe not so much. It really depends on who the news is coming to. Okay, everyone's uncomfortable. Let's talk about something a little, more less, a little less polarizing. Um, let's go sports, okay? Uh, Madison Bumgarner just signed a new contract with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and he's going to go pitch for them right now. We just found out this last week. Exactly. That's good news that produces great joy for Arizona and all of their fans, but not for us. That's bad news that produces even less of a desire to go to any Giants games this year because we know the outcome. It's a waste of money. Or how about our dear friends, the Warriors, for just a moment? The worst season ever, okay? And the fact that we've got a whole lot of losses and a pile of injuries, it's good news that brings great joy to Smart and to all of the Lakers fans and other people who haven't heard from Jesus about which team to support in the NBA... But the rest of us, that's bad news that brings sadness and longing for yesterday's team and the dynasty that once was. And our only hope is for a first-round draft pick next year. That's it. Okay, sports don't work either. Um, <laughs> if you're not a sports person or a political person, let me find something that works for you. Um, my wife has a cat that she allows to live with us. <laughs> that's the news, period. That's it. That's the news. Now, for some of you, that's good news that produces great demonic joy on the inside of you. While for the rest of us, that's horrible news that produces justified righteous indignation. Like, it really, thank you, yes. I told you I'd give you a cat joke this morning. Jazzy walked up to me this morning. She's like, I'm wearing a cat shirt because I hate you. And I'm like, well, then I'm going to find a way to bring cats into the sermon. There we go. If you're a cat person, God bless you. We'll pray for you at the end. You're going to get saved. It's going to be good. Here's what I'm saying. It's, it's nearly impossible to find good news that brings great joy to everybody. That seems like an impossible task. Yet this angel who comes to these shepherds watching their flocks by night says, hey, I've got some news that defies all the odds and defies logic. Some news that's going to bring great joy to all people. He says, you ready? I've got some news. You ready for it? Yeah, we're ready for it. What's this amazing news? And then he drops this on the shepherds. He says, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord has come. He's here. This is the good news that I'm bringing to you that will bring great joy to all people. Now, most of us in the room, because we kind of understand the full length of the story of Jesus, that is good news that brings great joy to us. But in order to understand why this might have been really good news to these particular shepherds and to the nation that the angel was speaking to, you need a little bit of historical context. You need a framework for where Israel is at in history at this particular juncture. If you rewind the history of Israel, here's what you find. They have found themselves in need of a savior for about 1,400 years. All the way back to the time of Moses when the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years, they called out to God for a Messiah, for a savior. And the Lord sent Moses and Moses came and he delivered God's people 
people from Egypt and brought them into the wilderness and there they wandered for 40 years, but eventually a generation rose up that entered into this promised land of freedom that God had told them about. And so they enter into freedom and life is good for a season, but eventually after one generation dies off, another one turns their back on God and they once again find themselves enslaved, this time to the Babylonians for a period of 70 years. And after the uh, 70 year time in, in Babylon, they're set free again and there's this period of silence where they're waiting to figure out if their Messiah is gonna come and if they're gonna enter into their glory, their power days that they feel that God has promised to them. But instead, they find themselves at this particular juncture in history enslaved to the Roman government. Uh, Augustus Caesar, the nephew of Julius Caesar, he took what was the Roman Republic and he turned it into the Roman Empire that we all know and probably don't love today. And life was difficult for the Israelites once again. Taxes were high, death was imminent. They were, they were being opposed by the Roman government. So if you add up all these little chunks of history, they found themselves in slavery for about 1400 years. And during that 1400 year period, God promised them that a Messiah would come that a savior would come. All throughout the books of the prophets, he, he dropped these little hints on the nation to say, hey, this isn't the end for you. There is a savior coming. There is a Messiah coming. He will establish a new kingdom that will rule and will reign forever. And they were waiting for this moment for 1,400 years. That's a really long time to be waiting for something. Imagine waiting. Well, you can't because you can't live 1,400 years, but some of you single people feels like that. But you know, it's... Where's my savior? When's he coming? Okay, like. <laughs> These are in my head. That's the problem. Manly and Stephanie. Oh my gosh. Hi, I love you. Okay, hi. Sorry. ADD. Cat. All right. 1,400 years they've been waiting for a savior and for a Messiah to come. And then one day in the middle of the night, this angel shows up to a couple of shepherds keeping watch over their flocks. He's like, hey. The Messiah, the 1,400-year-old promise you've been waiting for, guess what? He's here. He's come. You can imagine the joy igniting in the hearts of these shepherds who, along with their entire nation, have been waiting for this moment for hundreds of years. The joy, like, are you kidding me? The Messiah, the Savior, he's here? Santa, he's here? I know him like I've been waiting for this moment. But then the angel says something that doesn't quite compute. It doesn't calculate in light of what is being promised, in light of this good news that's going to bring great joy to everybody, this Savior, this Messiah. He's like, are you guys ready? He's coming. And here's the sign that he's here. All right, here's the sign that this king you've been waiting for is gonna overthrow the Roman government and make everything right, establish a new kingdom. Here's the sign. Ready? Here it is. It's a baby. Little blue-eyed, blonde-haired baby Jesus. Yeah, guys, it's great. There's a, there's a baby, and, and he's laying in a, in a, in a manger, you know, you know those things that they feed the animals in? Yeah, like this king you've been waiting for, he's like, he's in, I'm shaking baby Jesus, that's probably not good, but he's in, he's in a manger and, and he's all wrapped up cuddly, that's what it says in the NLT translation, cuddly and swaddling claws and he's there. 
I, it's a long story. Joseph and Mary, you know, they were coming to, for the census, and there was no room in the You'll find out later. Well, it doesn't matter. Here, here's the story. There's a baby, you know, a crying, pooping baby waiting in a manger in the backwoods of Bethlehem. That's it. The Savior's here. Come on, Jesus on three. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? That, that appears to be very inconsistent with the needs of the nation at that moment. That, that does not seem to solve any problems. Uh, let me just say, that was not the news they were, they were waiting for. It really wasn't. It seems insufficient for the problem they find themselves in. It's obscure and insignificant. A baby in a manger in Bethlehem? And I'm sorry, Marie Kondo, that does not spark joy, okay? <laughs> that was not what they were hoping for. What they were hoping for was this warrior to come in, to subdue their enemies, to establish a new Jewish reign once and for all, put them back on the top of the food chain, fix all of the problems. That's what they wanted. That's what everybody wants when they come to Jesus, right? Everybody wants God to just fix everything. Like, I'm gonna come to God, he's gonna fix all my problems, he's gonna destroy my enemies, he's gonna put me at the top of the food chain, I'll take a side order of money and good looks if you got it, like that's what I want, that's what we want when we come to God. But that's not what they got. And often that's not what we get. They wanted a warrior, but what they got was a baby inside a manger. The the good news that was supposed to bring great joy came in very unexpected packaging. It didn't look like it could produce what the angel promised it would produce, great joy. Let me ask you, have you, have you, ever, um, have you ever given anybody a present that you really thought they were gonna like? Like you spent a whole lot of time preparing and thinking about this present and you finally found the perfect one and then you brought it to them on their birthday or on Christmas and you're sitting there with that like goofy grin on your face, like waiting for them to open it up and you're expecting them to be pumped out of their mind. And then they open it up and you do not get the response that you were hoping for. Has that ever happened to anybody else besides me in the room? Okay, a few of us, yeah. I had a friend last year, or I mean it was two years ago, and his wife had been talking about how much she really wanted to get back to the gym. She'd had three babies and so she's like, I wanna get back in shape. And uh, yeah, you know where this is going. And so he bought her literally everything that year for fitness. Like he bought her Lululemon pants and like running shoes. And uh, the, 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 the pinnacle of the present opening was like this box that was another smaller box that was another smaller box. And inside of it was like a membership card to this like really bougie gym in, the, in, in their city. And uh, it did not produce the particular emotion that he had hoped it would produce in his wife as he gave it to her. Uh, they went to counseling and they sorted it all out and everything's great. <laughs> like he expected her to be really excited because this was supposed to be something that would bring great joy, but instead she was a completely different person after <laughs> the end of it. That's kind of what a baby in a manger feels like in this particular setting. Like based on the needs, based on the, the setting, based on the history, it feels like a present that's not quite gonna produce what, what they really needed. It does, definitely doesn't fall into the category of good news that brings great joy. But for those of us who are Jesus followers in the room, and we've been on the team for a little while, you know that the Bible is filled with examples of 
unexpected packages where we're supposed to find joy. Places where joy doesn't seem to make sense, and yet the Bible tells us it can be found there. James chapter 1 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials and troubles of many kinds. Oh. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 8 says, hey, you know what's a joyful situation when you're in poverty and when there's heartbreak? I'm sorry, what? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, consider it joy when you are cursed for my sake. When people curse you, they talk trash about you, drag your name through the, uh, through the dirt because you love me. Hey, that's a really great day because great is your reward in heaven. In fact, even in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 5, there's a group of disciples that get beat to a bloody pulp and put in prison. And as they leave the prison cell, they are rejoicing because they're like, we were counted worthy. I don't know if they're singing a song, to be beaten for Jesus. Like, those are not situations where I think joy should exist. If I am looking for joy, I am not looking for it in prison or in beating or in trial or in sickness or in poverty. Those those are not the places where I would expect to find joy. Yet, for many of us in the room, we have built our lives on the fact that every word written in our Bible is true, that it's more real than the things we see with our own eyes, and we have built our lives and our eternities around the fact that every word in there is breathed by God and I can bank on it as truth. And so I am not arrogant enough to assume that the Bible got that wrong when it comes to joy. Just because it doesn't feel like a situation where joy should exist, I'm not willing to state in my arrogance, now. No, there's no joy to be found there because the Bible tells me that it can be there. So my only conclusion must be that I have to redefine what joy truly is. I have to think a little bit differently about joy if the Bible tells me that joy exists in some situations where joy doesn't seem to make sense. See, for most of us, we have wrongfully associated joy with happiness. We assume that the two words are synonymous. To be happy is to be joyful. To be joyful is to be happy. And honestly, we're totally justified in drawing that conclusion because if you were to just take a simple look at the definition of those two words, you'd find that, in fact, the dictionary tells us that they are virtually about the same thing. Uh, here, here's how the, dic uh, the dictionary defines joy and happiness. Joy, to experience great pleasure or delight, and happiness, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. Great pleasure or delight, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. Both words, by definition, assume that there is a pleasurable, desirable experience. As long as my experience in this life is pleasurable or desirable, then I qualify for joy. I qualify to be happy. If I got all the money, if I got the pretty girl, if I got the job, if I drive the Tesla, at the end of the day, happy, happy, joy, joy. But the second those things disappear, you lose the job, the diagnosis comes, the situation looks dire, the marriage is on the rocks. Clearly, I don't qualify for a pleasurable life experience any longer. Yet the Bible just told us a moment ago that even in trial, even in the midst of poverty, even in the midst of situations where it doesn't make sense, joy can be found there. Thus, there must be a difference between happiness and joy. And here's the difference. Happiness does require pleasurable circumstances. It does require life to be going well and for, in order for it to exist. And therefore, it's a moving target. You are not always going to be happy. 
I'm sorry. If you come to Jesus, that doesn't mean that you're happy from here on out. If you meet that Christian that seems happy all the time, that has nothing to do with Jesus. There's probably drugs involved. I'm just throwing that out there. No one's happy all the time. You can spend every day of your life at Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. And yes, even there, unhappiness will come. For me, it's about three hours in. Once I'm still waiting in a line and I'm like, it's hot and I'm sticky and I've lost all my money coming here. Like, this is a miserable place. I don't understand why anybody's happy here. But, but joy, joy is much deeper. Joy is not fickle. It's not circumstantial. Joy is not fleeting based on the circumstances of your life. Here's a good definition of joy for you. If you were to take all of the biblical words and examples of joy and throw them in a blender and pour them out in a smoothie, here's what you would get for joy. I love this. This is by Rick Warren. He says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That's an incredible definition for joy. Leave that on the screen for just a moment. Consider that response to whatever it is you might be facing right now. Consider that response to the difficult chapters that we all go through in life. That's joy. This settled assurance. Things don't look good right now. The marriage doesn't look good right now. The finances don't look good right now. The diagnosis I got from the doctor just definitely doesn't look good right now. But for some reason, I, I just feel at peace with everything. Yeah, there is the temptation to freak out a little bit. In fact, many who have gone before me and found themselves in similar situations, they have freaked out, they have run from God, they have gone the other direction, but for some reason, I don't feel like I need to run from God, I find myself running to God in the middle of this situation. There's something in me that despite the chaos feels stable. And I know it doesn't make sense, but I actually want to praise God in the middle of what I'm facing. Not run from him, but lift up my voice and lift up my eyes and look to heaven where I know my help can come from. And this smile that's on my face, I know it's illogical. It doesn't make sense, but it's not coming from my pleasurable circumstance around me. It's coming from a deep well that the Holy Spirit has dug on the inside of me and I will not be moved. I will praise him. I will look to him because I know that God is for me. He's not against me and he's working all things together for my good. That's joy today. That's what true joy looks like. Good season, bad season, it's still there. Joy is this, this substance that carries us until happiness comes again. It's the internal settling, this internal confidence despite the chaos of my external condition. That's, that's what joy is supposed to feel like, which is completely different than circumstantial happiness. And listen, it is imperative that you understand the difference between those two things. As a follower of Jesus, or even as someone who's just searching, you must understand that joy is not found just in happy circumstances. That there is a massive difference between the two. Because if you don't understand that, you will miss the opportunity for joy that might be sitting right in front of you because the packaging doesn't look consistent. 
because the situation doesn't look like something that should be good news that would provide great joy for your life. Because it might just look like a baby swaddled, sitting in a feeding trough in the backwoods of Bethlehem. But it could be the very thing you need. Because listen, when we understand what joy truly is, we can actually lay hold of the great truth that this angel was declaring to these shepherds that night. No, he was not telling them that happiness was coming. I know that that's what they would have loved, the the Roman government being overthrown and the Jewish nation taking their place of authority once again, but he wasn't coming to bring them good news of happiness. His angel, the angel's news would go far beyond the Roman government and far beyond the life of those shepherds that night. And it would make its way into our world today because this good news that would provide great joy to all people had very little to do with just a baby, but what that baby would ultimately become. Because here's what you have to understand about this story. These were no ordinary shepherds and these were no ordinary sheep that they were watching. The shepherds of Luke chapter two were what we know to be Levitical shepherds, the pasture lands of Bethlehem, where the pasture lands where the Levitical shepherds or the Levites would raise the sheep that would ultimately become the temple sacrifices to pay the price for the sins of mankind. If you trace back their history in Jewish law at the time, if you had sinned and you had done something to offend God and you needed forgiveness, then the only way to make you right with God once again was through the sacrifice of an animal. It was called substitutionary atonement, which is just a fancy way of saying an animal's blood needed to be shed so that you could be made right with God. And your sin was poured out on that animal so that you could be set free. But not just any animal, a sheep, a lamb, a baby lamb that was a year old, a male, that was without blemish and without spot. It had to be absolutely perfect. And so Levitical shepherds, unlike other shepherds, had to keep a 24-7 watchful eye on their sheep to ensure that none of those sheep became blemished in their day-to-day activities. There couldn't have been a fight between two sheep. A predator couldn't come. That sheep couldn't break its ankle and then be used for the temple sacrifice. It had to be blameless. It had to be blemishless. And so they would literally watch these sheep 24-7, which actually brings clarity to why these shepherds were awake in the middle of the night watching their sheep when no other shepherd would be awake at that time of day. They would have just let the sheep sleep while they slept themselves. But these shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. But perhaps the most intriguing aspect of the job description of these Levitical shepherds was what they would do when the weather was inclement. So because these sheep had to be raised outside, a a temple-sacrificed sheep could never be an indoor animal, uh, they had to be exposed to the elements 365 days of the year. And many times these sheep were born as babies or lambs or ewes or whatever the appropriate word is for a baby sheep. Uh, And it was in the middle of winter, rain, cold weather. And if we weren't careful, frostbite, blemishes, spots could make their way out of these animals. And And so in order to make sure that the sheep remained capable of becoming a sacrifice, these shepherds would literally treat these sheep like a human baby. They would wrap them up inside swaddling claws and they would keep that sheep close to them 
until the bad weather passed so that they could qualify to be used as a sacrifice in the temple to take away the sins of the nation. I hope you're seeing the parallels here a little bit. See, these shepherds were the perfect audience to herald this good news that would bring great joy to all people. Because unlike any other group of people, they would have understood the significance of this moment. They would have understood, having been those who raised the sheep that would ultimately become the temple sacrifice, that this was no ordinary baby wrapped in claws making its way into the world. The good news that brought great joy to those shepherds were, hey, you're out of a job. Your services are no longer needed. We don't need you to raise sheep any longer that will be killed in the temple to take away the sins of the nation because there is a greater lamb who has been born and he's come to Bethlehem tonight and he will once and for all wipe away the sins of humanity. He will be the spotless, the blameless sacrifice that is offered up for the sins of humanity. He'll be faced with every temptation that humanity faces, but he will be without sin. And at 33 years old, he will give his life just as that sheep gives, it, gives its life for the people. He will lay down his life so that all who put their trust and their faith in him can be saved. And just as he came into the world in obscurity wrapped in claws, so he will go into obscurity wrapped up again in some linen. But this time, three days later, he will rise, not come into the planet, but rise again. There'll be a secondary angelic visitation, but that angel will say, the one you've come looking for is not here because he has defeated hell and the grave and sin, and he is victorious, standing at the right hand of the Father, and he has made a way for anybody who puts their faith in him to be saved. He is risen just as he said. This was not some casual interaction with a few shepherds. This was a prophetic declaration that the Messiah, the one who would give his life, had come into the world to truly save humanity. That is the gospel. That is the good news that brings great joy to all people. Not that there is a savior for your situation, because I'd be lying to you if I told you that one move saying yes to Jesus will resolve everything you're facing right now. But a savior that would come for your soul, that would be Emmanuel, that would walk with you through whatever situation and every season that you find yourself in. He would stand by your side. He would never let you trip and stay in a pit, but he would pull you out of the middle of that thing and walk with you until you see him in eternity. That is the good news. So, with three minutes and 13 seconds left on the clock, let me ask you this morning, as we conclude our, our final service of the year, where are you looking for joy? Where are you trying to source it from? What are you grappling at in this life to try to fill that hole address that need, numb that pain, make you feel a little bit better. If you were trying to find joy in the fleeting, pleasurable experiences of this life, you will be left wanting for a long time and you will wear yourself out 
trying to find something that only God can provide. But if you're willing to see past the obscure packaging of a baby in a manger, to understand that even though it looks illogical, putting faith in a God I cannot see and trusting him to to guide me in this life, that doesn't make sense, it doesn't compute. If you can see past that packaging and you can place your faith in him, what you're really looking for will meet you right where you're at. The Savior, the Messiah, Christ, the Lord, who's here not to save your situation, but to save your soul and to walk with you from this day forward. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.